to Sunset Chats. This is Magellan here, just giving you a little intro before the show starts. As you've been saying for a while now, these episodes have been recorded uh, a few months ago, so if anything feels out of date news-wise or COVID-wise, which I don't think is the case in this episode, that's why. Um, I also wanted to give you a little heads up that in the discussion of the second episode, we cover some heavy topics. There's conversation about Tom and his brother in Iraq. There's also conversation about um, Jordan and complications with her pregnancy. And then most substantially, there's conversation about Matt Albee um, and his struggles with drugs and addiction. And we spent some time trying to piece through and figure out how we feel about that plot. But I just know that there might be folks out there who, you know, don't know if they can necessarily sit through um, a conversation that long about topics like that. So I want to give you that content warning. Anyway, thank you for listening and enjoy and stick around to the very end to hear me again, giving you some more up-to-date current plugs about what we got going on with chats. So without further ado, on with the show. Live from Studio City on the Sunset Chats, it's Wednesday night on the internet. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 10. Studio 60? Studio, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell I think you said city. Don't tell I won't tell anyone though if you don't tell anyone. Huh. Um this is Chats Television Podcast Duty Season 10. Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. And my name is Alan. And I'm joined by the man who issued a fake bomb threat to the Chats Studios. But we liked him so much that we decided to keep him on the show for a little while. Hey everyone, it's Magellan. I thought it it's I thought joke, it'd dude, be, it's a prank. It's a prank. I thought it'd be funny. I thought I'd see it on the news. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's joke. It's joke. Oh my god! If she was, if that character from Love Live. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm me and my weird don't friend. Tell my, don't tell my mom. <laughs> you were gonna be on the national news, you dipstick. Okay. Well, welcome, John. I'm I'm glad to have you here to talk about Studio 60 with me yet again. Thanks, man. I'm I'm just glad to be out of the house. Wait, we're in quarantine. We're not allowed to be at, uh, be out of the house. Yeah, That's bad. That's true. Uh, but who, also joining us in the house is the host of our new spinoff show, Studio City on the Sunset Chats. It's six. Hi, everyone. It's me. <laughs> I have two lines and now I'm gone. And one of them comes at an extremely inappropriate time at the end of the episode. Talking about drug addiction and then you're like, did I get my lines wrong? It's like, shut up, Herb. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I was talking about my lines of cocaine. Ah, It was that's... a metaphor. <laughs> There's a whole other drug plot happening with the announcer that we never see, but he has a really bad drug problem. We're not, yeah. He could totally, yeah. We're going to cut to like years later and him and, and uh, Matt Albee are both in rehab. And they're like, wait, you, and I, what? wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, if this show had ever gotten the 10 seasons that it deserved, deserved, yeah, we, deserved. we would have actually been able to see that plot. Finally, right? See, yeah. that's an amazing thing because these two episodes are good episodes because they are failing episodes of a TV show about a failing TV show. Yes, especially that first one. So if folks don't know, first of all, why are you here? Second of all, we're talking about two episodes of <laughs> Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. 
the often forgotten Aaron Sorkin one season before it was canceled television show uh, about fake SNL. And this week we watched episode 17, The Disaster Show, as well as episode 18, Breaking News. The Disaster Show had a teleplay by Aaron Sorkin, story credits by Chad Gomez Creasy and Dara Resnick Creasy, and it was directed by Tommy Schlamy, and it aired May 24th, 2007. Now, Michelle, can you tell me what happened in The Disaster Show, please? In this episode, Allison Janney, as herself, is the guest host of a show that goes haywire when the prop masters and cue card workers stage a last-minute wildcat strike. While the show is on, a bomb threat referencing a Muhammad sketch threatens the building. What did we all think of the disaster show? I mean, was it really that bad? Yeah. <laughs> was it really a disaster? Was it really that bad? It was a pretty. It was a pretty bad uh, in canon show. It was a great episode of, of the I, show. See, you know, I would contest that, and I would say that actually the mishaps led to some some really great comedy. Some do, really cutting edge uh, jokes. Due in no small part to the incredible acting efforts of one Allison Janney, who ostensibly carries this episode on her back. Yes, yes. This is this is the Allison Janney show. This is a peek into a world where I like this this TV show a lot better. <laughs> She's yeah. just so like aware and fun and engaging. Um, she kind of like just owns a scene every time she's in it. Uh, it was weird though that we opened. I did like this episode as well, just to say that. Um, but it was strange how we opened with like another. Both of these episodes had like had like extended recaps of like most of the series so far, which in this case barely had to do with this episode. Like you could ostensibly watch this one uh, without too much background. It's it's pretty self contained, which I like, uh, especially in a serialized show like Studio sixty. Uh, but we get this whole recap, and then yeah, we get the introduction of these union guys, which. I think it's important to talk about union uh, workers in Hollywood, especially in the acting industry and like acknowledging that it's not just actors and writers and producers. It's also prop people. It's makeup. It's cue cards. It's outfits. It's a big production happening here. And if you take out one or two of those union people, you can't make the show happen. You have to put all the props on a table in order and then the table breaks because the guy who keeps the table working doesn't work here anymore. So... With the um with the opening, it gave me big like I only watched this after fact, but did did either of you watch Arrested Development? Oh yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah, we did. You know how near the end of the run of Arrested Development, the original run, the narrator started being like, Gosh, I wonder what's gonna happen. You should probably call your friends. Tell them to tune in. <laughs> like hmm. it had, Please it watch had our that show. kind of energy to me where it felt like, I mean, you don't need to know this for the episode, but gosh, watching this, doesn't this seem like a show you'd want to watch and tell your friends to watch? It smacks of desperation in a way I find fascinating. Please, our ratings are hemorrhaging, <laughs> which is hilarious considering the second episode, uh-huh. which is not about ratings. Uh, Here, so I wanted to try to figure out if there's anything interesting about this episode that led to it being the way that it is. And I did some IMDb trivia sleuthing. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, this episode doesn't feature Matt or Danny or Jordan. Mm-hmm. The reason is Uh-oh. that all three of them agreed to not do this episode so that they wouldn't have to be paid for it to save the show some money. Oh, boy. <laughs> um. 
that's interesting and yeah. sad. This show is gonna. This show is gonna. You're watching a show basically implode. You are watching the disaster show. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't think that I don't know how intentional that was. Like you know, this episode must have been written months in advance. But the fact that it's now coming out in the time where Studio Sixty, the program, is failing as well, is uh, really interesting. Um, I kind of was was curious if we thought that the stuff about the union people, especially as like a I would consider as somewhat of a leftist podcast at at the very least. Um, if you think that the union stuff is like Sorkin making jokes about unions because he doesn't like them, or if you think it's just acknowledging that hey these people do hard work and like without them we can't succeed or what what's the sort of take here um i don't i don't know that there was like a political agenda there because i think the entertainment industry is like the one industry in our country where there are sizable unions and regular strikes um to the extent that like sorkin is in a union as well yes he's in the writers guild of america mm-hmm. and he certainly has participated in in writer strikes before so i think it was i don't know that there's a take here on unions so much as just like what's how can we make wacky stuff happen and there there was kind of a weird vibe of the cue card guy being like go fuck yourselves <laughs> like here's your cue cards or whatever um but i th- i think that that was more about kind of mocking actors for and you know actors and writers the people who are usually recognized as like the creatives for not respecting or understanding where all the stuff comes from i feel like it's walking a line um yeah i think aaron sorkin i am not an aaron sorkin fan i think aaron sorkin has a lot of a lot of problems but i don't think he's a complete idiot right and i think if he wrote an episode about how the prop masters were useless He'd have some problems with his prop masters. <laughs> now his prop masters would leave. <laughs> um, and so I think this episode walks a line where it's like, I mean, you know, you have Cal being like, and of course we totally respect them screwing us the last minute, and this is totally <laughs> fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does portray them through that cue card guy and stuff as being kind of petulant, and also through like the like the pranks, right? Mm-hmm. Like. They True. don't, you know, some of them it's like, okay, if they screwed up, like, the the sound effects and the squibs, that could just be people improvising. But, like, someone didn't accidentally replace uh, the, like... Um, Herod's water, with, with, water with, alcohol. with alcohol. That was yeah. on purpose. And that is really, like, petty and unprofessional in a way. True. And also, I guess the other piece of evidence in in support of that is we learned that what Danny said to them is that they're, like, useless replaceable. and replaceable. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody says that to Jack Rudolph of like, oh, no, Danny told him they're replaceable. Jack Rudolph's like, yeah, <laughs> what's the aren't they, they? not? <laughs> Jack Rudolph also says, I think, in this episode, something like um, he's like talking about ratings and like forgetting that there are people behind the the work of their of their job. So definitely leaning more into the like Jack Rudolph doesn't care about human beings, which is in character, I think. Um, the last thing I was going to comment on with that stuff, though, is that. Uh, we're in May of 2007, and it was just a couple months later that the actual like most famous Writers Guild of America strike happened in November of 07, which I'm pretty sure Aaron Sorkin was a part of, like you said. So, you know, that must have been on their minds, you know, union stuff, negotiating for pay, negotiating. Yeah, for I mean, strikes. I think that's I think what I was trying to drive at is that it is just like kind of a constant truth of Hollywood mm-hmm. that everybody 
belongs to some sort of union uh and everybody's always trying to like you know eke a little bit more money out of whatever deals they're making true i also want to shout out this is this these two episodes are where i feel like i mean maybe it happened earlier if i go back and i'll notice uh where jack rudolph's actor steven weber has made a turn right Mm -hmm. he has decided this show is going to go down i am going to i am going to like basically act as though jack rudolph is also on another show yeah he has this Hmm. whole extra layer of like development that's clearly happening off screen where he's gone from being this like comedically angry boss to this person who's just like completely lost in like like obsessing over their work but also trying to do whatever they can at any moment to lessen the overwhelming stress of their life yeah um his he he is one of two performances these episodes that I want to shout out the other one we haven't gotten to yet but he's mm-hmm. just he's just fantastic here yeah you get the sense that he realizes that there's a fire going on that he's like getting ready to start putting out he's at the very cusp of it mm-hmm. the news about studio 60's cancellation had been announced by the point that this episode aired by the way mm-hmm. i don't okay. know that they they i don't think that they knew about it when they were like creating it but this episode aired on May 24th, and the cancellation was officially announced on May 14th. So hmm. people are, who are watching it live at this point are like, oh, this show this show is a lame duck uh, at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's spinning. It's, it's, it's running its season out, basically. Yeah. Uh, but one of the best things about um, them having to handle all this chaos is that instead of Matt and Danny... We get to focus, we get to zoom in on the actors and the producers. Most importantly, Cal, who is, again, one of the stars of this episode. Yeah. Um, we get to have the show that I've been saying the whole time is what Studio 60 should be, yes. which is a show about the people who make a, a uh, sketch show. Yeah. And it made me think it may have been a way better show if Matt and Danny just were never characters that we saw. If they're sort of talked about and people are like, oh, Matt and Danny are going to be happy about this, yeah. but you never see them, that that is a much better show. Because that's the uh, way Wes appears in like the flashbacks and stuff. And it's really yeah. effective. You right. talk about Wes right. and we're set. You guys got to respect Wes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it made me wish that this is what the show was with some other stuff maybe removed from this episode my, uh, my only my only reasoning for why that yeah definitely with some stuff removed from this but i think the reason why we get them is obviously you get some nice like shining star roles to put on advertisements and sorkin likes writing serialized television by this point he likes telling long arcs and he's not here to just tell you the like individual stories and machinations of the production crew on a tv show it's a little bit more navel gazy than that which is ultimately one of the biggest flaws of this series is when it gets a little navel-gazing, he's writing about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, voice. I think you can still have serialized stories about these the people, production. and they can still have like interpersonal drama and stuff. It's but, just But the serialized more... storytelling that Sorkin writes well is, here's a man who's broken and watching his life crumble to pieces. That's like the specific story type that he's very, fa- again, at this time, at 07, that he's really good at. I mean, just imagine if the whole time this had been Jack Rudolph's character where we never saw what his personal life was like, but but he just kept being one of the few constants and we could see him just gradually having a breakdown. It's <laughs> unraveling. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Cal manages the chaos this episode 
And we have a lot of plates to spin in the air tonight. Uh, we have Simon, who uh, his plot is kind of self-isolated and um, not my favorite. Uh, basically, he was dating somebody uh, and is complaining about how he just got broken up with, like literally right before the episode started. And he's all sad about this. And him and the his now ex were going to go on a double date to Hawaii with Tom and uh, Lucy. Um but she broke up with him, so he doesn't have a person to go to Hawaii with him. Then she gets back with him. But also another lady uh, that he was talking to now wants to go with him. And he's like, do you want to go to Hawaii with me while we're broken up? She says yes. He has to tell both people. And instead of lying to them and making a cartoonish like comedy of errors, uh, he tells both of them the truth. And they both slap him, and he's left with no date. So this is a painful plot. <laughs> but there is a moment where I thought it might actually be okay. And then it isn't. <laughs> What's but the moment? the moment where he's talking to this lady and 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 he's like he's he's just being like, "Oh baby, you know it's not like that." In a in a way that's really like stereotypical and shitty. Yeah. And then he's like, no, okay, seriously, let me set aside the cool guy veneer for a second. I'll just tell you what's going I on. I really worked really hard to try to find you. I thought that was a great date. Like, yes, you're right. What I was in the middle of doing is shitty, but here I am, and this moment is sincere. And I was like, wow, okay, if this is going to be a thing about, like, Simon does a lot of, like, playing around because, like, he he doesn't find... Because he's got this reputation of playing around and so ultimately people approach him with that expectation and so it's honestly disingenuous on both sides of the relationship mm-hmm. and then when he finds someone who's taking him seriously he'll take them seriously yeah that would be a story i could be on board with but mm-hmm. no the story is just that he's such a player and <laughs> sometimes you you know you, you go for two hairs but catch none it's like shut up that's an interesting point yeah that he he really like immediately jumps on the chance with this other woman uh, to be like, okay, actually, you come to Hawaii with me because she's willing to, like, you know, give him the time of day and be like, okay, yeah, actually, maybe you're you're a legit guy. Um, so I agree. If we had seen more of of Simon being vulnerable in some way, but mm-hmm. in this plot, everything just kind of rolls off his back. You know, it's like up. Mm-hmm. Oh, she slapped me. Oh, well, another lady slapped me two in one day. All right. I guess I'll go to Hawaii alone. Like nothing seems to affect him here. Um, yeah. So it, it ends up being a plot where as, as a viewer, I'm sort of like, well, why did I watch that? It just loops itself back. Yeah. It's like, like okay. ima- imagine if that scene in the in the in his dressing room with the person who just broke up with him. She was like, you know, I thought about it. And actually, I was being silly and listening to what other people said. And we should get back together. And he was like, no, actually, I think you were right. Like, obviously, I don't think I'm a shitty person, but I think this relationship started off on the wrong foot. And I think I wasn't taking it seriously. And with that kind of foundation, this isn't going to go anywhere. Maybe we could try again at some point, but right now we need to stop. Yeah, right. Just like a little more adult, adult, and <laughs> and he was being honest. I mean, that is something to to the plot's credit. I think there there wasn't like Alan, you were saying, there wasn't this sort of Benny Hill thing of like he's lying to both women and running through fake doors to avoid them or whatever. <laughs> um, he really did just decide I'm going to tell everybody the truth. 
Well, well, he, well, he, he gets caught in it, I guess. Right. He yeah. he starts telling the 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 um the very recent ex the truth because uh because someone's already given away the game and is over his shoulder waving like no she already knows yeah and it's like okay lucy yeah. could not have handled that worse she clearly said something to to the that woman that she shouldn't have said and then she had no chill about it whatsoever it was and absurd it, it would have been so easy for her to be like 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 oh she he already invited someone else and and she's like no we're going and she could have so easily been like oh she, he he met you he didn't say who i just assumed it was someone else done yeah yeah it's, it's she's kind of the fitzwilliam darcy of that plot line magellan um <laughs> or Lu- lucy is where she's just like he did this uh-huh. thing wait uh i wasn't supposed to say that um yeah it's it's kind of i don't like to use the word slight that often but i do find myself saying it a lot especially with a show where it's b and c plots just kind of come and go but I think if anything, if we're to take anything from this, it's that we learn that Simon um, is is looking for the one. You know, he wants somebody who he can he can actually stick around with and not yeah, like when you're in Hollywood. Maybe. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, he's looking for the one <laughs> in twenty one and one to right. break the streak. Is this a wrestling thing, six? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. That's okay. I forgot my point completely. <laughs> yeah, so you're saying no, Simon's looking for people. the one. What we He's looking for the, the one, plot. and in Hollywood, it's hard to find because so many people want you and want your like uh, your clout. And he's got a reputation. And he's yeah, been, he's actually he's trying a certain way. Yeah, he's he's developing. I, I mean, that. I think, but I think to Six's point, what this plot could have done is Simon is sort of deluding himself into thinking that he is like a reliable, serious guy. And he just keeps getting into relationships that don't last very long. Yeah. But in actuality, like he is playing around and he's just not owning up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this could have been a chance for him to reflect and be like, wow, I really fucked that up. <laughs> like mm-hmm. really badly. A woman sort of broke up with me for 30 minutes and I found somebody else to go to Hawaii with. That's a problem. <laughs> Um, but he, like, he doesn't own that or reflect on that. And so it just ends up being like, okay, Simon didn't learn anything. So I just watched a dude be the same person for 15 minutes. I'm not super interested in that. In one ear, out the other. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think really this episode across the board, the sort of like interpersonal plots are the weakest stuff. Um, like if, if y'all want to transition to talking about Harriet and Jeannie, um, not much there, but what was there was kind of bad. Yeah. Just the whole, everything related to Jeannie is really frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You can't date him. No, you should date him. No, but don't date him. Because we've never, we've never gotten a moment of characterization for Jeannie, except that she like wanted to do the, uh, Commedia dell'arte sketch. Yeah. But other than that, I have no idea who Jeannie is at all. She's just a plot device. She's just like a, it's a hot lady that Matt had sex with. I don't know if she wants to be with Matt. I don't know if she actually is friends with Harriet. I don't know if we're supposed to like her. I don't know a thing about Jeannie at all. Um, And so to have this continuous conversation between Harriet and Jeannie about Matt and like who's going to date him 
and Harriet's giving permission and whatever. It's just exhausting. And I don't, the only thing that was redeemable about it was the fact that when Harriet was talking about it in the dressing room, everyone mocked her and was like, this is annoying. We all know this and everyone has been waiting for you to stop dealing with this crap. Please stop. But they, they don't like, they don't take the hard line that they should. Honestly, they set it up, but it's like the point, the point where she is like, well, like, you know, Matt's really worried that it'll be disruptive if we're together. Someone should be like, it can't be more disruptive than how obnoxious you two are all the time now. Yeah, it's also bullshit because he had sex with Jeannie, who is also on the show. So I don't know what's not less or more professional that way. I don't know what Matt is saying about like, oh, power imbalance or whatever. Like, obviously, that stuff is valid. But Mm. when you had sex with Jeannie, then you don't have a leg to stand on, my guy. And it's like one thing to be like, okay, so Matt's full of shit. But it's like the thing about Harriet, the way she's been portrayed is that she just like she just worships Matt and takes everything he says as gospel. Like there are times when she like snaps at him. But like when they're actively in the middle of a fight and someone else calls him a narcissist, she's like, I can't let that go. No, that's rude. Shut up. That's not how humans are. To the point where Luke is the one who had to be like another man had to be like, hey, you have like a weird thing with this guy. You need to decide what your relationship with this is with him. They they know. (laughs) Yeah. But her stuff, yeah, it's really frustrating, and some of it's really, I mean, like, uh, Sarah Paulson always brings good, good, like, class to her character. Um, She's a great, great actor. Yes, for sure. It's really annoying to see her put in this role. Um, As a side note, I I did enjoy her comedically in both of these episodes, uh, especially in this one when she does the Nancy Grace bit, because it's 2007, and I have nothing wrong with with a goofy Nancy Grace joke. Um, and then the punchline being not only that, like we get to enjoy her doing this accent, but the prop masters put grain alcohol in her, uh, in her cup and she just runs with it. And she says the prop master on the Nancy Grace show, uh, put grain alcohol in my, instead of my water. And it's like, that's, that's what I want studio 60 to be as a, as a TV program is like watching these people improvise and, and flex, which if you'll allow me to brings me to, uh, the best plot in the episode um because i want to talk about this one and then end on the bomb plot because the bomb plot kind of ends the episode um allison janney the goat the legend herself is on this episode as the guest with no cue cards and she's being fed lines by cal through a microphone or through an ear piece uh that she struggles to put on and they make a whole point about like why is there a string coming out of it so you can take it out you can take it out it's very silly allison janney's amazing that's mostly what i want to say here um also uh i believe what well, i don't remember exactly what the context was but early on they talk about how she was on another tv show and then they're like oh yeah the west wing which hang on snl exists in studio 60 world mm-hmm. and the west wing existence mm-hmm. but bradley mm-hmm. whitford's right that when you you can't yep, <laughs> yep i, I can't. put the cuffs similar, on Sorkin. similar reaction come what? on what are you I talking about reaction that's Studio not, 60 exists. Bradley, I mean, Bradley Whitford isn't in the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, he's not in this That's episode. Danny Tripp. What are you talking about? Oh, Danny Tripp's. Yeah, you're right. Dan, you're, <laughs> this is the conversation I, that me having that I would have with Aaron Sorkin. And I'm like, Aaron, why is uh, 
Bradley Whitford in both. And he's like, no, it's not. It's Danny Here's Tripp. And- so many things made me annoyed that the <laughs> West Wing exists in Studio 60 universe, which maybe I shouldn't be that annoyed about it, but it it, yeah, it is really annoying. <laughs> Um, if if studio if if the West Wing doesn't exist, then Allison Janney's like not a, a a household name in 2007. So it has to exist. But then if it exists, then I met several sure. other actors from it are on this. But then it very easily you could have made the choice to give Allison Janney a character where she's basically the same person as Allison Janney, uh, and she just like has a fictional name or something. Yeah, but. Th- the thing that bugs me because I like to get bugged by things mm-hmm. is there was a whole hullabaloo earlier in the season about how Jordan was taking a chance on that guy who wanted to make the show about the United Nations, <laughs> yes. the which oh, was right. so clearly meant to be a stand in for like the West Wing. Mm-hmm. But now the West Wing exists in this world. <laughs> so everyone who criticized Jordan for doing that is a moron is devouring because the Crow, West Wing exists in this world. And also, Jordan is dumb for being like, yeah, my bold TV move is to rip off the West Wing. Well, I mean, listen, it was like, I don't think it's one-to-one, because the, the premise of that show was like, what if it's just a show that exists in the halls of the UN where most people don't speak the same language? Like, it is still sure, a pretty different pitch. Sure, but the, but the idea... It's still a nod. The like point of it was, oh, check out Jordan McDear. She's going to take chances on like dramatic shows on primetime. Nobody else is doing that. And it's like, but wait, wait a minute. I just wanted them to skew, to skew the reality a little bit more and be like, yeah, my cla- my classic memorable character from the West Wing, uh, J.C. Craig. And you're like, wait. Um, <laughs> and the people who haven't watched that show because it's been off the air for a couple of years are like, uh, was that the name? <laughs> like, it's it's CJ Craig. I know that's the joke that they. JC Craig is the character from uh, Deus Ex. JC Craig is where I buy my jeans. Right, any more jokes we got? Or uh, JC Craig is my favorite member of InSync. Thank you. Ooh, that one's actually really good. Usually the third one's bad. That can I get one more? I want to get a bad one. Uh, it's a bomb. That's pretty good. That's yeah. mm, still pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I am going to again posit that the disaster show of Studio 60 in-universe is the funniest Studio 60 in-universe episode that we've seen. And not like laugh at it, like everything's going bad funny. Yeah. But the things that they show us of like, oh my God, it's a disaster the monologue where it's like Alice and Janney can't remember what show she's on or the city she's in because I like she's that. like a big time actress and doesn't give a crap about anybody. That's actually a fine monologue premise, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, second of all, the scene that we see where she's with Tom Jeter, she seemed to do every sketch with Tom Jeter. Which okay, is, he's the only yep, actor on the whole show. Something. Um, you talking about the one with the wallet? The one or with the, the wallet, yeah, where she goes to bribe the the um, car. James Bond. What's the car? You know when you, you the valet you car valet the valet. Um, oh no, and, James Bond was the script. Yeah, yeah. And she and she opens her wallet and there's no money in it, and she offers the wallet itself. Very. That's actually funny. a funny joke. Funnier mm-hmm. than just doing the money. Yes, yes. And then the squibs thing where she like. Uh, uh, does all the actions of getting hit by bullets, but there nothing goes off. 
is funny. <laughs> and then the fact that it actually happens in a later sketch is it, something that SNL would never be smart enough to do. Especially, especially. It's actually so a genius callback. The thing that would make it perfect is if Tom Jeter, who's good at improvising, had then like turned to the audience and been like, well, she lasted long, longer than the last broad. Yeah, there you go. Because yeah, James yeah, Bond yeah. just kills women. Just left kills women. Right? Yeah, totally. And then she's like, wait, I'm actually not dead, mother. Yeah, this is. A better and then show. just like putting it, putting a pillow over her face and pushing. Too bad she's dead. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's definitely funnier than Pimp My Tricycle or Modern Major TV Show or whatever the fuck the good stuff is. But supposed not better to be. than Nicolas Cage. I love oh my god, was it this jobs. episode or the second one that we saw Nicolas Cage again? It's mostly the second one. Yeah. Why can't they just not make what's his name Simon Helberg? Yes, good job. Why do they have to make him come back just to do that? They don't give him any role as like a cast member. He's never talking to anybody. They only hire him for a day to come do Nicolas Cage sketches. And he looks miserable. <laughs> right. And and he does those and does them extended like for an extended period. And in one of these, he does like the cooking bit. And it's like a lot of this is based on like knowing who Nicolas Cage is and what he was up to in the news which doesn't age really well and it's just it's it's not fun to watch at all it's not funny it's not fun um but again yeah Alice and Jenny and that script joke legitimately got a laugh out of me when she does the like uh, 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 uh. oh wait <laughs> I'm alive yeah <laughs> that's that actually was funny top tier work yeah she sort of like leans on her arm and is like I expected you to shoot <laughs> ultimately the joke though being at the end when she's like tom jeter why are you not worried that the show is falling apart and they're like oh because you're the guest we don't have to care that it's going bad because everyone will just say it's your fault is like i could i think that's funny it's a little mean but also tom's an asshole and yeah everyone on the show is kind of shitty so like i get it but i don't know i thought that part was kind of weird especially because like sorkin is clearly or presumably um at least well acquainted with and if not friends with alice and janney so to have her on and be like, yeah, we're just going to have everyone roast you and like ruin your life. It's like, I would like to do a role like that. I think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that seems fun. He's like, hey, Allison, can you be like the the diva fictional version of yourself that tells your assistant to like keep a list of people that you're upset with? Or yeah, whatever? yeah. The running gag of the list is excellent. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that that was um, pretty honest to how people would probably process that in the moment of there being a disaster show, just that attitude of like, yeah, well <laughs> it's happening. So might as well ride the ride and, and enjoy it while it's happening. Yes. Um, if you would say, you would say, yeah, this is fine. We deal with it every day. That's the whole point of it being live. If it, if it wasn't live, then we would never make mistakes or we wouldn't keep the mistakes, but it's more specifically that he's like, well, it's going to be, they're all going to blame it on you anyway, so we don't care. It's where I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you got to get a little dig in. Yeah, it's a here. little sassy, but like you said, Tom is probably the, the he's person. He's the character to deliver that. Deliver and it. also, he's been added to the list like seven times by now. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's back somehow. True. And she's also probably in some way, a lot of ways more successful than he is too. So it's like, you're fine. You're rich. <laughs> like, One of my biggest smirks of the episode was around that scene when Harriet, uh, to Alice and Janney mimics her being shot by the bullets yes. and does like a little bullet <laughs> dance and like rock, like wiggles out of screen out of it's frame. So so good when you give Sarah Paulson like goofy things to do, it brings the biggest smile to my face. Mm-hmm. Like the dolphin laugh and the whatever joke she had that she couldn't tell stuff like that. It's just she's so good at these like light 
silly things. It's a very 90s joke for her to make, but I still do like her going, I'm going to make it my screensaver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I was like, yep. oof, this got dated, but I like it in, in yep. a way. Yeah. Uh, the Scrubs rewatch podcast that Alan and I listened to, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, they just made their theme song a ringtone that people could download <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> it's like. And you can purchase. And I'm like, who's, who's buying, buying ringtones anymore? <laughs> they made a big deal about, like, we got multiple versions of it with all the different edits. And it's like, I, in like probably 30 seconds, could open your podcast on Audacity and make that. Like, what are you yeah, doing? It's, I, I haven't heard my phone make a noise since 2012. Yeah. You know what I or mean? Or make it like a ring, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, you wanna, I don't want to. I'm on silent. I don't have vibrate either. So. You want to hear what I got here? Oh, you have a ringtone? What, what you got? I made it myself. Upriser. Is it you gonna do that? Ooh. Oh, I heard this. You've told me about this. This is the ringtone in game from Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Oh, yeah. that's a, a pull. That's a nice pull. That's a good it's ringtone. Really it's a it's a jam. My ringtone was made by uh the guy who made the soundtrack for Samurai Gun. He was like selling ringtones on his band camp for like ninety nine cents. And there was just like a fun little ditty that I use as mine. Uh, but again, I haven't had my ringer on in forever. It goes like do 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 Yeah, I pay no, I pay. That's a premium. That's my ringtone is the default. Apex. What? Ooh, I like that. That's one of the defaults. That's one of the defaults. Yes, one of the defaults. Okay, it's called reflection parentheses default. Beautiful. Oh, you know, I changed mine because I I've moved phones so many times. You want to know what mine is right now? Since we're just doing this, sure. No, no, no. I'm no, such no. a boomer, y'all. I'm no. such a boomer. Oh, no, no, Going no, no, to no. hell. No, Sorry. no, no. I'm What's everybody's screensaver? Why don't we do screensavers anymore? Because your computer just goes to sleep. It yeah, just goes, you're right. Yeah. What, what was everybody's favorite screensaver? The maze. I like the maze, yeah. Yes! With the smiley face. You can't like be a gamer the, like without pipes. enjoying a maze. I like the pipes. Pipes was good. Pipes is my second favorite. I like the maze. I liked... um. Windows XP had one where the Windows logo would like get spiky and then circular and be a sure. ball. Oh yeah, that yeah. was really satisfying. Is anybody else yeah. here old enough for the flying toasters? No, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, that was a classic. It's I was born bad. in 2017, so I don't. Mm, yeah, does, that does limit things a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, and now we have like what backgrounds for everything. That's the more like customization focus that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about the bomb threat plot because it's technically the a plot of the episode, even though it doesn't. It's not. It's the that a plot. Mo- what? I thought the Allison Janney. Allison Janney's the a plot in terms of time devoted to it. Allison I guess. Allison Janney's yeah. always the a plot. True. In my heart. In my heart. Yes. So the, I mean, okay. her name starts with an A. A Janney. Yeah. Um, the wait, bomb threat plot is so useless. But I mean, in a nutshell, we learn that someone has called in a bomb threat, and. It's because of a sketch that's about Muhammad. What was the sketch called again? They say it, and it's like a stupid name. Uh, it's like Thin Muhammad or something. Muhammad yeah. the Thin, thin Skin Prophet. And yeah. it's apparently going to someone who's going to be played by Tom Jeter. So of course. Of course. There are layers, yeah, of layers of problems there. Uh, and their reaction to there being a bomb threat is like, we're just going to keep doing the show. And Jack Rudolph's like, hey, if people die... We're gonna lose a lot of money. Um, so the I'm line just is go home. He says, "You think what? About, what do you think if we leave everybody here? What do you think about the bomb threat? Like, what is that gonna do to our insurance deposit?" And then he has to have someone tell him, "Like, I'll su- 
people would get hurt. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's I do. That's my good. favorite thing of the plot is I do enjoy <clears throat> seeing uh, Jack Rudolph and Cal interact with each other and play yeah. off each other because they're the two sassiest characters on the whole show. Um, I think that's but, true, yeah. But other than that, we learn that there's like a phone. Somebody called from their phone and then they lost their phone and left it. And then the FBI called them on their uh, whatever they did something and got the teenage boys to come get their phone. And then it's, it's like, two teenage white boys who were like, we thought it would be funny. We want to get on the news. Don't tell my mom. And it's like, again, the plot here is sort of like, why did you make this? Hmm. What, what happened? Nothing happened in this plot. We completely went back to where we started it wasn't funny. You're not saying anything daring about bomb threats. I guess what's happening is Sorkin is sort of saying like, ooh, you thought that I was going to do a thing about the Muhammad sketch. You were had a racist thought, but no, no, it was a white teenager. I guess maybe that's what it's about. Well, I think that's I think that's like the punchline, but I think mostly it's just about adding one more layer of chaos to the disaster. It's yeah. about having something distracting Cal so that he like fails to make transitions and stuff. I see. Yeah, and sure. they're like they we went ten seconds with dead air, and he's like, oh shit, <laughs> it's just awesome. Or having the having the one uh, moment in this that it, I enjoyed. I don't even think it's necessarily good. I just enjoyed it, mm-hmm. which is when they bring in the bomb sniffing dog, and he tells it to sit, and it doesn't listen. And then the op- the <laughs> officer repeats it in German, and he says, "The dog speaks German." The German like, shepherd speaks German, and he's like, "Only German." And then the, it's the moment where Cal just goes, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the actor reacting. There was nothing. There was no script there. That was just just pure a sincere realness. like. I don't right. know why I'm here. I don't understand anything right now. I want I this conversation leave. to end. <laughs> I want to go. I want to get all done. all encapsulated in. Uh, one, okay. a, a line I really liked from that plot was, uh, I think it, I think it's the teenage boys. It's like, how did you figure this out? Or, or somebody asks, like, how did you figure this out? And Jack Rudolph says, "Well, the FBI's open on Fridays. On Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> it's quick. It's it's a quick line, but it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jack Jack Rudolph is a good part of that. And if anything, the the my like uh, take on this one is. Um, Sorkin has done a couple episodes, including the next one, that become, quote, a very special episode of Studio 60. Mm. Um, and this kind of sets it up like that's going to be like this is a comedic version of what basically this the whole setup for the second episode is. Where in this one, it's like all the stuff is going on, but really there's a bomb throw going on. And that's what we should care about. But they're not gonna do a bomb on this TV show. Like that's so dumb and bad and over dramatic. But what they will do is a hostage situation in Iraq. Like, uh, so it's kind of like a comedic version of what we end up doing in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was fun to pair these. I, I know we like to on chats, like examine how the episodes pair. And I thought that was the most uh, telling thing was that this one doesn't take itself too seriously. And the second one kind of does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, I think it's mostly Jack Rudolph that just brings the heat in that plot line. And I also noted that it was dumb that Muhammad is being played by Tom Jeter in that sketch, but of course, of course he is. And yeah, maybe this is just more timely at the time. I mean, I remember Helma Jelen in our middle school, I think there was at least one bomb threat, if not multiple. I was um, thinking the same thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, were we taken out of school for those or were they just kind of talked about and then we... Um, I think 
there was one I remember there was one that maybe happened while we were there. And I think there was another one that was like tomorrow there's going to be a bomb. Yeah. And some parents chose to keep their kids home and some didn't. Yes. And obviously, uh, there was, we didn't explode. So no, and we're it, okay. I wonder, and they talk about this too, because that's maybe that's like the other moral me- message of this episode is the kid says like, wait, why do you guys like, why are you guys just going to cart me off to like be arrested? Aren't bomb threats a big deal? And he's like, you would think so, but they're really not. Like you might as well have Jack Rudolph turn to screen and be like, they are at least because he asks the FBI guy, like how many bomb threats do you get a day in the, in the city? And he's like eight. <laughs> he says, Every he single says day six, we get, or he says six. Dogs. Right. Oh yeah. That's where five dogs. Can't you get a second dog? No, they're all busy. How many bomb threats do you get? Six. Huh. Huh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, six (laughs) threats a day in a city is like kind of ridiculous if you think about it. But um, at the time, especially with like the state that America's like anxiety about uh, terrorism and whatnot, uh, it makes more sense. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it just it, it it's another one of those that's like oh, this is like a little dated. Also. Less likely nowadays that people forget their phones places, I think. But it still no. happens. Yeah, I think no. so. Just because you have it. Like, you're always using your, 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 you, you be on that phone, as the people say. So, you know? unlike Magellan, my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. No. Okay. I don't think my mom <laughs> listens to this particular one. Not yet, but. Yeah. Maybe someday. My, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, my mom forgets her phone. Oh, okay. Drag her. (laughs) No, honestly, older folks definitely do. No, no. Like my coworker is is older than me. I'm not gonna say how old, but they forgot their phone yesterday and we're like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There, yeah, I would be fine. I would I would ultimately be fine with it, but I would definitely stress out big time, big time. I would be okay for a little while and then I'd realize I was gonna miss a day of check-in for girls frontline and I would explode. (laughs) Six, buddy. Love, my friend. Oh shit! It's almost raid time in uh, Cino Alice. <laughs> wow. gotcha um, cool. Well, Magellan, what are your straight notes on this episode? I don't have any. What the fuck? No, stop! Come on, bring back the straight notes. No, we did. I don't, it. I don't have any. This episode was very short. We did the jokes. We did the news. <laughs> I never don't laugh thinking about that fucking scene. It's just the delivery of it. Everything. Everyone, go watch the newsroom. You have basically the newsroom is required viewing before Studio Sixty. I'm sorry to say. Um. Okay, you're back. You watched all of the newsroom. Damn, what a great big man that Charlie Skinner. <laughs> what a great big man with big wings and flaming lips. <laughs> Alan, I will kick your ass. I don't care how many protein bars you eat. Okay, you're a goddamn newsman, six step. <laughs> uh, I gotta watch watch the newsroom again. No, no. Jonas <laughs> brainworms everyone. We're here to talk about episode 18 of Studio 60. It's called Breaking News. Oh, oh newsroom. newsroom. Yeah. Uh, this one is also written by. Bad. This one's actually got some more simple credits. It doesn't have screenplay credits. It was just you know written what's by. Annoying Sorkin. about that title, by the way, is that that title has no relevance until the last five minutes. It's a it's a specter. It's a, a sort of Damocles, actually. Ooh, uh, whoa! All right, I'm blushing right now. Um, <laughs> so, Breaking News is written by Sorkin, directed by Andrew Bernstein, and it aired May thirty first, oh seven. Mitchell, can you tell me what happened in this episode? I would love to, but I'm still reeling from you referencing the Sword of Damocles. I'm more embarrassed with why I was thinking about it, but go off, King. The Shrieking Shack it? talks about it a lot. Like, ZC says it a lot. I don't even listen to the Shrieking Shack anymore, but they, they've referenced it a lot. The point is, I know how to use it. I feel smart for being able to use it correctly. Yeah, it was good. In Thank this you. episode, 
Jordan experiences an emergency with her pregnancy during the live show when she suddenly cannot feel her baby kick. However, an even larger emergency is hmm, uh, an even larger <laughs> emergency is unfolding for Tom, whose brother is involved in a hostage crisis. Amidst all this, Matt's pills, pill use gets discovered as he deals with the continuous presence of Mary Tate. Now, this uh, that is a misleading sentence. It doesn't say this, but you're reading that. You're like, oh, so Mary Tate discovers it. No, she just happens to also be in the building. Yeah, she's While... just around. She's just around. Oh, okay. So right. I was I was really riding a high of like, boy, the that first one? episode was light. It was fun. I had some laughs. And then the previous Leon hits <laughs> for this episode. And it's like, Drugs, remember? marriage, yeah. pregnancy, dating. Yeah. Bills, bills, bills. Welcome Sunday, to Sunday, Sunday. No, please. It's not. It's uh, rough. And then it like fucking starts with Jordan talking to Jack about Hallie Galloway. And I'm like, why no. are all the horrible things coming back at once? It's really, yeah. I think uh, overall, oh this episode's God. much weaker than the first one. It has a lot of redeeming moments to me. Um, I didn't like outright dislike it. I think I'm developing like a sort of tolerance to Studio 60, if that makes sense. Where I'm like, all right, they're going to handle this badly. Here comes the part where it gets overdramatic. Like there was moments in the last five minutes where they're like running and the music is kicking in. Where I'm like, yeah, if I cared more, I would really be affected by this. Like, uh uh-huh, terrorism. Okay. Yeah, it's it's that Sorkin thing of like, even when it's bad, you still don't regret watching it. Yeah. I'm just like, this is fine. It still entertains. It's just sometimes it's not good. This is inoffensive to me because there are other things in this episode that are definitely offensive. Um, But the overall plot culminating in that is like, I totally see someone writing this in a script and saying, that's pretty clever. Cause the whole idea basically is that uh, like you were saying in the summary, there's all this stuff going on and all of it is coming to a head. And we realize that none of it really matters because the thing that was going on in the background is actually tangible and something to be more stressed about uh, actively, but we still have to hand, we have to balance all these plates. That's what studio 60 is about. Um, so we have a lot of different drama uh, bubbling under the surface. Um, we start with the most important plot line, which is Herb uh, saying, uh, what was it again? Studio S- City. Studio City on the Sunset Strip. Totally reasonable mistake. Even though Matt is like, it's the one job you have every week is to just say the name of the show. How do you get it wrong? I would totally get it wrong like several weeks in a row. Especially when you have to do it for dress and then do it for the show like every single week. You're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Be nice to her is what I'm saying. Um, and they use that to come back during like an, a serious Matt Albee drug reveal. And he's like, oh, I said the name wrong. He's like, yeah. Yeah, you did, Herb. Anyways, here's my pants. Yeah, and they do it with the, the really bad. I did not like the music guest in that episode. Because um, I believe in the first one, it was Macy Gray, who's like pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very 07. But then this one, it was just like alt- band that or alternative band that i was like uh this is like long-haired man on a piano and there's literally a scene where harriet is talking to uh uh mary tate and she's like that band's really good i like them and it's supposed to be her being like you know trying to make a casual analysis and not talk about the important thing but i don't i didn't like that music at all um and the other thing that they're we think we're all going to be really worried about is ratings 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 um it's hilarious to me that well, the way they 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 develop the ratings plot is Jack Rudolph tells somebody that he bought a company and he's like actually I bought five percent of a company and they make a machine get this that goes it has a database of comedy and movies and we can make movies better and we can most importantly make sketch comedy funny 
what is this farcical I, I would love it. I would love it if a machine existed like this that can make all my jokes funny, dude. Are you kidding me? Make my podcasts good? That was a good podcast. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, robot, podcaster robot. To make um, it better, you could, I don't know, maybe take take that shirt off, buddy. Oh, yeah. What, <laughs> what, what, what have you got what working under there? Too. Well, shit. <laughs> the yeah, robots the have out. spoken. Perhaps remove your shirts. Consider getting naked. Thank you. Um, it's no, just a horny. no, no, no. Leave the pants on. Leave no, the pants. No, just the no, shirt. No pants and no shirt is the peak of hot. But leaving a little bit, you know what? It, what's happening? We love leave, mystery. Leave yeah. the cannoli. <laughs> Take the cannoli. Sorry, I got the line wrong. But yeah, all this rating stuff. It's interesting to me how we talk about ratings, and they're like, oh, four point five. It went down thirty thousand. All like numbers and numbers in this episode, and I don't care. But I do care about all the stuff in the first episode about like the prop master and the unions. I think it's because yeah, ratings we just now understand, especially like talking about television, like matter to the network, but don't matter to the people making the show. And they do discuss that, but. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things in this episode that feel inside baseball-y to the point of uh, it being kind of obtuse. Mm-hmm. Like the rating stuff, I mean, I think I've only ever heard about ratings in the context of, you know, like Dan Harmon is like, wow, well, they were upset of the not getting a good enough ratings. Or that's yeah. only ever people complaining about it. Yeah, or the show was canceled because of bad ratings. Yeah. Yeah. And so um I think we just have a natural animosity to the concept of ratings that makes it so that I don't really want to listen to a plot about it. Uh and also the fact that the reason, the contrived reason the ratings are bad is that genius Matt Albee <laughs> is on drugs right now. So he's writing episodes late. Yeah, which is also annoying. Um, and then the other thing that's inside baseball is the whole thing with Mary Tate about she's like getting into this this really specific case of Matt Albee so basically it's the same um, situation where there's the woman who's suing NBS um, and she's like, because she had a, a, she was harassed in, in Ricky and Ron's writer's room. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst children's show I've ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but apparently at some point someone called Matt on the phone and was like, Hey, this, there's this lady in our writer's room and we think that she's not good. And Matt was like, yeah, she sounds like she's not good at her job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was just like saying that to have a conversation. And apparently that means that now he could be sued too. Um, and it's this whole thing where Mary Tate's like excited about the prospect of fighting that and taking it all the way to the Supreme court. And hmm. she's like, isn't this fucked up that this can happen in California? And Jordan's like, yeah, that is fucked up. I'm a lawyer too. And the whole time you're sitting in the audience, like who is invested in this? I don't care about this. <laughs> really embarrassedly raising my hand. <laughs> okay. To change my I, mind. Change my I mind. really liked this in a couple of ways. Okay. One, I like the fact that I, I, this is one of those cases where I don't know if Sorkin knows this, but where Matt is clearly just in the wrong here. 
Yes. Completely. Yes. yes. Matt Matt was called up by a person being like, hey, we have this person who used to work at your studio. Do you have any recommendation? And Matt's like, Matt, like internally is like, well, I've never heard this name before. I don't know who the is, who she is, any of her work. And then it out loud is like, I guess I might as well shit talk her. Like, yeah, you deserve to get sued then. Um, and then I also really like Mary Tate in here being like, this is wonderful. This is such a disaster. I get to go to the Supreme Court and I read everything else she's doing as just like being giddy on the like intellectual high of getting to go to the okay, Supreme that's, Court. That's actually cute. Yeah. And I think that's take. great. <laughs> well, that also explains the like repeated flirting that she does with Matt Albee. Which is like comically inappropriate, but very funny considering that she's like, "This is all. This, none of this is going to blow up in my face. <laughs> you guys are getting shut down." It was so not the way that a person would talk, and very, yeah. very much <clears throat> like, "Oh, the genius man is like luring this uh, unbelievably talented and intelligent and funny woman that is so much better than him uh, in real life." But it, you know, he's like the the genius protagonist. So of course, she's attracted to him. But I was still entertained through the whole thing, and still like, yeah, yeah, Mary Tate, get yours, girl. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, she doesn't treat him like anybody else treats him. Like she is, right. like she is really fun and playful. She is a little bit of like manic pixie dream girl energy, that's, right? Yeah, that's but like that's everybody treats him like he's a genius, and she treats him like he's an adorable himbo, and it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's you start to appreciate the lack of realism and also like, yeah, once you accept that, like, yeah, just Sorkin doesn't write women realistically. It's like, well, he knows how to make them entertaining, whether or not he intended to or not. I'm like having fun watching her Mm -hmm. like twist this plot around in her fingers and be like, you guys are all fucked. (laughs) I'm going to get paid. Um, I I really enjoyed (laughs) there's some moment where she was talking about how oh, there's a whole beat, which I actually thought was was funny in how willing they were to pause on this where she's trying to talk to him. And then he's like, wait, wait, wait. And in the background, you can see the monitor in his office and they're silently watching the sketch be mm-hmm. bad. Uh, and the audience doesn't laugh quite enough, um, which I thought was actually a pretty, pretty silly beat. Um, maybe intentionally so. And then she's like leaving the room and telling him that she thought it was funny. And then she's like, I have an IQ of like 210. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, just so you know, I'm very smart. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I again, actually like I like it, but like, I sh- it's bad, right? It's bad writing there. But she's just having so much fun. I'm along for the ride with her. Like, later when she's talking to Harriet. She's like, man, this this is such a disaster. I would do this one for free. And Harriet is like, kind of like bitterly, like, yeah, but you're not. And she's like, I know, isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Mary Tate's telling. the best part of the episode. I think mm-hmm. so too. I mean, I'm looking at my notes right now, and all of my stuff about like Matt drug stuff into Tom Jeter, uh, I rock stuff is like, I don't, I wasn't a fan of any of that. So yeah, I think the Mary Tate's the best. Um, and I didn't mean should to we, blow our best plot first, but that was definitely. Should we like talk about drug stuff? Because I feel like that's going to be a big conversation. I think we should save it. I think that's going to be well. Okay, the really the re- the rest of my notes are ostensibly we have the Jordan stuff, we have the drug stuff, and then we have Iraq. So I think we should do them in that order. Okay. Um, basically, with uh, Jordan Jordan Victor is back. 
uh, and she's still very pregnant. We're still doing jokes about how she really likes orange juice, which is a joke. And this is the first time they finally were like, okay, pregnancy's like hungry or like has a craving. Things are annoying. And then they're like, no, it's because she's afraid. There's an actual reason this time, which is that she's having this dinner at the rap party with Danny Tripp. And he's like, why do you want so much orange juice? And she says, well, I didn't feel the baby kicking. So uh, when I drink orange juice, usually he starts kicking again. And he's like, oh, uh, I got to be a serious parent for a second. Hold on. We got to stop this rap party and take you into a... Cl-. And you think they're just going to go straight to the emergency room. But it's like, no, no, no. We're going to go to a closet. And I'm going to put a stethoscope on. And I'm going to pretend I'm a doctor and try to like feel your baby kicking. <laughs> Which he can't tell because he's like, I feel a kicking. And she's like, that's my heart rate. And um, as he tries to take her to the emergency room, the stuff with Tom happens and... Uh, I do like the way they handled this where they're like, because I've had moments in my life, not to like get too personal, but where like multiple tragedies are happening at once and like some are are happening in the background and you can't forget about everything. You can't just ignore the like struggles going on, but like there are things that outwardly you have to take precedence. So they're like, okay, like make sure Tom is okay. Make sure his parents get here. All of that. Soon as everyone else leaves, he's like, go to this assist, take this assistant, drive her to the hospital (laughs) she could die or her baby could be dead like let's fucking go i thought it was handled well i think this is our chance to see danny trip at be the parent that he wants to be so badly or like be the sort of like on top of his shit it's frustrating then that danny also has to be a parent in a way to matt albie who uh is caught with drugs this episode by suzanne Mm -hmm. um basically i mean we we should definitely talk sensitively about this stuff but uh suzanne in a and in, in a scene that's kind of melodramatic in the like dare psa way is like danny or uh it's like matt i know you've been doing drugs and he's like yes i have been doing drugs and he doesn't do the like this is the part where it's better than dare because he does say like yes i've been doing them and she's like yeah my mom did them and he's like yeah well i'll stop i'm gonna run out soon and then i'm gonna stop and she's like she has the line which is dark but uh you know pretty straightforward she says uh when i was not when i was eight uh, my mom said the same thing, and then when I was nine, she slit her wrists, which is intense. But I think the character, actress who plays Suzanne, is like doing the best she can with that line. It's fucking hard to be yeah. the person telling someone that. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, Marriott uh, Weber really does a, a really good job with the with yeah. what she's given this. Who at plays Suzanne does a really good job with her role this episode. It is a little, it is a little like as you say, like after school special, a little mm-hmm. too much in that way but i think her performance is pretty admirable i think that the way she portrays it as her being like i know that this is the kind of thing where i have to be really careful and how i speak to you so like really like like downcast eyes and speaking really carefully but also like very skeptical that you'll just say whatever it takes to get out of the conversation right and that's why later when she's like yeah i told danny too bad like i told him and he's gonna help you and she's like yep you're gonna go through withdrawals yep it's gonna be worse than doing drugs yep it's gonna suck and she explains chemically biologically and accurately i I will say why withdrawals can feel are do feel worse than being on drugs um which is sad uh matt is hiding the pills in the bottom of a bottom bottle of flintstones vitamins which they use just for the punchline of i like barney i like the barney ones a lot later um i think this scene this stuff works entirely because of bradley whitford actually i think uh i forgot who the actor who plays matt albie is uh matthew perry yeah matthew perry is definitely doing his best with like 
I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to like tell you I'm going to stop. I'm just going to be honest with you. And he says, when it's hiatus, I'm going to stop. I just need, he says like, I need to feel something, which is a very honest, unfortunately, a very, very common reason that people get into to drug abuses because they feel very numb or they feel like they're running a million miles an hour and they need to slow down or they need to keep up with the, the hectic pace of Hollywood. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when Danny comes in his room after Suzanne tells him. And this is one of those like, you, I would put it if I was Bradley Whitford, I would put it on my acting reel kind of scenes, like really good, or like on his Oscar reel, where he's like doing the parent giving their kid a card and cigarettes because they caught them smoking one sort of thing. Where he's like, "If you're going to do it, do it right because once you stop, it's gonna suck. So just start smoking it, start crushing the time release, start doing all the stuff, and become a drug addict." He doesn't tell him to stop. He doesn't yell at him. He's well, he does like you know eventually say, "Give me the pills" and all that. But yeah, Bradley Whitford has a history with this stuff. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's clear that this is like coming from a real place, both from Sorkin writing it from Whitford acting it. It's yeah, this is like a plot. Like, I feel like I expected this to come out of studio 60 for a while, but it's uh, surprising to see here. You actually have it backwards. Is it? Matthew Perry is the one with the history. I feel like I've read both, but Matthew Perry definitely has the more serious history. So yeah, there's there in that case, there is an aspect too of like, I'm talking to the actor as much as I'm talking to the character a little bit, mm. but yeah, we don't know what the status of Matthew Perry's like uh, addiction process or recovery, whatever was at at the time of this episode. Uh-huh. How do you even write an a, a, a plot line like this if you're Aaron Sorkin, if you're writing for Matthew Perry? I mean, I we talk a lot about on this podcast how it feels like they're doing therapy for themselves, or Sorkin particularly is working through relationship drama, and it's like. That's something that's a little bit, it's kind of captivating about Sorkin work is that you're like seeing him just nakedly on the screen and his his friends and family on the screen a little bit in a way that's like uncomfortable. Like he doesn't shy away from talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I give him credit for that, honestly. It's, I feel, compl- I mean, like it's weird because I don't know, like th- these are re- these are issues that Sorkin's also had, right? So he yeah. is writing from a position of experience. Yeah. Part of my problem, and I, it's because, like, I don't know how much to hold this because I used to smoke, right? Yeah. And it's a very different drug I was on. Mm-hmm. But part of this for me is the moment where he's like, where, where Danny's like, you know, it didn't make you better, it made you worse, right? Yeah. Part of the problem, smoking did make me better. I was a better writer after smoking a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why it was so hard. Like it wasn't, I didn't have a super hard time quitting, right? I I was fortunate in a lot of ways. We don't need to get into my, but like part of what made it more hard than it could have been was like, but I do write better. Right. And taking that tension away makes it just like, okay, well, it's just the wrong thing to do. And it's also not even doing what I got it there for, Yeah, which feels a little too after school special to me. I think it would be better if it was like, no, listen, I know it actually is helping you at least in the short term, but this is too destructive. And it seems like Matt Albee, I mean, maybe we're going to see him relapse in an episode or two, but it seems like in this episode, he's like, yeah, all right, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's really, it's a really weak resolution. Yeah. Ooh, I did make the bad decision of typing in Brad, uh, Matthew Perry drugs. And now I'm sad. I didn't remember. I don't remember years of filming friends because of how high i was all the time three years oh, okay i'm gonna stop reading I mean, you that. can see it when you watch friends his his weight fluctuates wildly and really he looks 
he looks really high and unhealthy yeah. um, in a variety of different ways. Yeah. There you go. Um, it's all, again, it's, it's just all on the screen. And like, is, I think there's value in that. I think like myself, we're, we're all here in some way or shape or form, uh, writers, aspiring writers, whatever you want to say. And I would like to be able to tell a story this personal about my life and like get it on a network show and get people to perform it beautifully with like beautiful music like this. But it just, it must be somewhat uncomfortable to just be like, yes, Matthew Perry, I want you to talk about how you're going to stop and how you know you're going to have to hate, you're going to hate withdrawal and all that. Um, like having to tell a professional actor to do that. But it's just one of those things, especially as like critics, like how much can we speak to the background of this? You know, we understand yeah. a certain amount of it and they've been pretty open about it, whereas a lot of actors cannot be and aren't. And we don't know about a lot of these stories, but... I think something that's also kind of squandered in this plot, I I do think that it's, um, I found it affecting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also thought that it, her name is Suzanne. Is that his yes. personal yeah. assistant? Yes, assistant, yeah. Um, I thought that it was a really good choice that it was her who found out. Um, and Six, like you were saying, that she's having to kind of figure out the power dynamics and figure out what's okay to say and, it made it really impactful that she was brave enough to speak up to Matt, who has been an overbearing boss to her in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so those dynamics I, I thought were strong. And I thought that actually this deepened the Matt Suzanne relationship to a relationship that actually has substance and isn't just like, I don't know, kind of dorky and jokey. Um, but I thought what was squandered here somewhat was um, the sort of irony that in the first episode we're we're shown Danny Tripp and Danny Tripp is like the guy with the quote unquote drug problem, right? And yeah. Matt Alby is like, although Matt Alby is high in the first episode, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So all right, because I had forgotten about that, but it it sort of is. I can't quite get a read on like, has Matt had problems with drugs before? Um, Is this like the worst that it's ever been for him? Or has he been at a low like this prior to this point? Because if it was set up as like Danny Tripp has, has had his problems and Matt has always been a kind of like light, lightly recreational drug user, who has never, you know, fallen this deep in the hole, then you could do a plot about Danny having to kind of coach Matt through what's going on and get him out of it and see Matt go through the things that he went through and sort of be like, I know the patterns. I know what you're going to do next. Now you're going to do this. Now you're going to do that. You're not going to believe me now, but this is what's going to happen. And we could see Matt kind of actually do those things. Um, But I think that the Matt and Danny aspect of it is not fully crystallized uh and so that part of it didn't feel that powerful to me or as powerful as it could have i think magellan that was the plan like the feeling i get is that that was what they wanted to do i mean that's such an obvious course of action and then they got told they were being canceled and they were like shit we need to resolve this quickly we have other things we want to focus on that's a good point we're gonna we're gonna hit the the accelerate button on the Matt Alby drug yeah. stuff because we don't have a lot of season left. Right, we've right. got four episodes left before the show is gone forever. 
maybe let's yeah because if you if you knew you were getting a season two you would end season one with like matt albie in a ditch somewhere or something mm-hmm. like what's gonna happen to him um but i guess you can't do that if you know you're gonna get canceled yeah and, and what's well okay i guess this is I, the reason i i find the matt the this direct stuff more affecting than uh tom's plot is a couple things one the tom plot is very time specific like a terrorist iraq bomb plot which i think we should talk about now is very 07 very relevant like you know sorkin is often awkward when it comes to talking about the present right also i'm trying to articulate exactly what i'm trying to get at here it felt to me like i was i i expected something uh going into the going watching tom and his plot develop because if you follow Tom, knowing that this episode ends with him realizing that his brother is was taken hostage by uh, terrorists, um, you watch him and you think he maybe he knows and he's trying not to worry about it. Like it actually reads like he is trying. He's being avoidant. He's obsessing over the ratings. He's talking about how he's in love with Lucy. Uh, he's you know trying to progress that relationship. He's trying to be a good actor and worrying about like this specific line delivery, which feels so petty. So for me, that's, I was like, that's the kind yep. of stuff they, that people obsess over though. Yeah, that is the kind of stuff people obsess over. But that's like, if, if I'm like worried about something in my personal life and I'm trying not to think about it, I, I would too, I would also like uh, fixate on other things in my work because that's something that's a way for me to, to cope. But mm. he doesn't know about that. So it kind of just makes the rest of his plotline be like kind of clean, dramatic irony. Um, I was talking to Six before mm. we started recording about mm. how when he says he talks to Simon about Lucy and he's like, I've been like, I'm so I struggle a lot out here and I'm really sad all the time. But when I see her, I'm I'm happy. That is the like one week from retirement line of like some <laughs> something bad. You're either going yeah, to die. Lucy's right. going to die or break up with you. Something bad's about to happen to you. It has to. Yeah. So that's them like placing the smoking gun down and then the end being like, actually, it isn't anything locally happening. It's happening to your brother. Yeah, I I wasn't sure what to think about the brother development because um, there is something to be said for like if you just spend the whole episode about something else and then you drop that at the end that makes the viewer feel the kind of like surprise and shock that Tom would feel in that situation. True, true. Um, But like you were saying, like you were saying, it also makes his, his arc in the episode feel pretty lopsided. To where um, you sort of are following him and don't really know why. And then it almost feels cheap Mm -hmm. um, to be kind of like, uh, I don't know, roundhouse kicked with your brother is a hostage. Yeah, whatever it is. Blame. Uh, So. Well, but they set it up pretty like, I mean, it's pretty early on that you have uh, Simon and Harriet being like, hey shouldn't tom have heard from his brother this is oh weird. I, mi- I missed that they're there yeah the, well i wasn't sure what they were talking about because they do say like he right after um he says like this is the the, the other dramatic irony is he tells simon like i really love lucy she's awesome and he's like simon weren't you gonna tell me something and he's like no i'm just gonna tell you you're doing great tonight that's also supposed to be like yeah we know that something's up what is it what is it exactly and by the time it's revealed, a lot of it is known already by a lot of people, by Simon, by Harriet, I think, by certainly by Rudolph. Um, and then Danny's finding it out last with us. And then he, Tom comes into the sort of broadcast room and sees that uh, his brother is one of the three uh, American soldiers taken by uh, terrorists uh, overseas. 
And he has the, I mean, the very relatable and true moment where he's like, that's not my brother. It doesn't look like him. They're like, they beat him up. He's like, that name is common. And then they're like, here's the platoon that they got them from. And he's like, fuck. Hmm. Okay. And then all they can tell him really is like, and you get to actually watch Rudolph be a human after two episodes of him being an ass or the whole show of him being an ass. He's like, uh, we're, we already have a flight coming to bring your parents here. Like nothing we're doing the best we can. Anything you need. Like, what do you do as the head of a network of television when one of your actors is is going through this? Like, you have nothing here. Yeah. All of the money in the world, all of the plans, all of the sort of affairs of mice and men, if you will, are nothing compared to like, well, this is just a human moment that we have to be here for him with. Right. So I thought that worked. I thought that like kind of worked. Um, but I agree, as we were saying before, that the next episode's probably going to be dookie because it's, it's going to be like very high stress very high drama and like ending out several arcs at once which i don't exactly trust yeah the show well. I, I mean i think i just didn't like the moment because it it represents everything that i don't want studio 60 to be um i don't want this story like i don't like tom jeter as a character yeah at, really at all um the stuff about his brother being a soldier has always felt corny and very like annoying in the same way of like Harry it's religious it's 2007 we're fighting the culture wars mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it's just this sort of like very overwrought dramatic stuff that I I just am not I, I'm not coming to Studio 60 to watch this really um yeah. so but I can recognize how like separate from those expectations it it functions and mm-hmm. could be moving as a plot point and I'm sure at the time this this land did a lot better um, with people who like maybe have family who were overseas and stuff like that. Like this is for somebody that we're, we are not right now. They're a different sure. relationship to uh, the, the conflict overseas in the Middle East and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird that this like we, we really started on a hilarious, like entertaining, charming episode, lots of good performances. And then we end on one that like kind of sets up some dumb stuff and then just goes full bleak in the last like couple minutes so i guess i'm curious what we're doing next week <laughs> hmm. i think the bleak train's gonna keep rolling yes we got oh, four yeah. episodes what four episodes left four episodes left damn 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 um magellan if you don't mind could you tell me what we're watching next time on studio 16 with sunset chats? next time on sunset chats we are watching the first two parts of a three-parter actually uh, oh boy. The, oh boy. Yeah. The three parter overall is called K plus R. Uh, so, first, we're watching episode 19, which is K plus R part one. Uh, oh boy, you're, you're going to like this. Uh oh. Flashbacks reveal how Matt and Danny were fired five years ago. Meanwhile, oh. that's kind of nice, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Jordan's pregnancy takes a dangerous turn. Mm, okay. Then we get K plus R part two. Jordan experiences major problems with her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Simon loses his temper with the press and flashbacks continue to reveal how Matt and Danny got fired <laughs> from the show five years ago. Oh boy. It is a very Sorkin move to be like, here's all this stuff happening. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can I just read the, the summary for part three? Yeah. Even more is revealed in flashback <laughs> of how Matt and Danny were fired years ago. Where are these wiki summaries from? Is this from Wikipedia? This is from Amazon. Amazon. Beautiful work, whoever wrote those. Um, 
yeah, it's very Sorkin. It's very classic TV writing to be like, here's all this crazy shit going on in the present. Hold on, pause button. Let's roll it back to several years ago. Like, not tell you the story that you just came here to see. Yeah. Um, but I guess I'm excited. I think I'm excited. Studio CC has been on like a decent streak. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, and yeah, we're we'll gonna see. have fun. Hopefully, maybe they end in a satisfying way. Who knows? I mean, you gotta send them home happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. That's the idea, at least. Um, I want to send the listener home happy and take it to the plug zone. Um, John, do you mind if I do this one? Go for it. Thanks, kiddo. If you would like to email us questions, comments, concerns, please send those to chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter at chatspod where you can send us feedback and questions about the show over there. Uh, we are. We would love it if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice so that people can hear about the Chats Pod. And if you'd like to support us and you're able to financially uh, and you have a couple bucks to spare a month, check out patreon.com slash chats pod. We have all sorts of bonus content over there. You can get all of it for just the, the price of a small cup of coffee. Uh, just $3 a month. You're getting stuff like film commentaries. You're getting hangout podcasts. You're getting uh, pilot shows. Um, which is how we discovered Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And there's a lot of fun stuff over there if you want more chats goodness. Um, and uh, before we leave you, instead of traditional plugs, um, we do chatsums here on chats. So these are little recommendations of things we like and enjoyed this week that made us smile, made us think, uh, things that we want to recommend to you, the listener. Um, so uh, Six, would you like to go first with your chatsum for this week? Sure. Um, so I'm bad at eating yep <laughs> i just don't do it sometimes it um, is hard and so some people you know like like the the most basic thought is like okay so you're gonna lose weight great it's like actually no actually your body if you don't eat consistently decides that you're like you're starving and it needs to hoard all the calories it can and so you gain weight um and so in an effort to fight that i am now having food at three times a day at least but at least one of those meals, sometimes two, is a cliff bar. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to specifically recommend, I really like the cool mint chocolate. Um, but there's also like some, you can get like some like caramel ones or like a peanut butter one. Yeah, I like the peanut butter filled ones. The peanut butter yes, filled me ones too. are good. Just get, just get one. Just, you know, they're like, they're like, they're protein bars. They taste all right. You know, hey, protein bars. They're all right. They're better than having food sometimes. That's probably not true. You should probably listen. If you can make yourself, you should probably eat meals. But if you can't, like me, then Cliff Bars. Also trail mix. I eat a lot of trail mix. It's like a little packet of trail mix instead oh, I of love having trail mix lunch. so much. I need to like get into trail mix that doesn't have the sweet stuff in it. Because I know everyone likes the sweet stuff, but that's also like what makes trail mix not healthy in the high salt content. But um yeah, I love a good protein bar. Cliff bar is definitely up there with like raw calories. You just want calories to your face. You definitely want to get a cliff bar. That's a good option. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Magellan, what about you? What's your chat for this week, pal? I have two chat sums for you, actually. Uh, the first is an album which was released um, recently as of our recording this, but by the time this comes out, who knows? Decades. Uh, decades ago. Yeah, decades. You're listening to this in 2030. Uh, but an album came out mid-June that I just got around to listening to uh, by Phoebe Bridgers, uh, who is fantastic. I fell in love with Phoebe Bridgers and her music uh, 
with her 2017 album Stranger in the Alps, which, by the way, is a reference to the uh, the TV edit of The Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you find a Stranger in the Alps, yep, which is yep. that's the best album title ever. Um, but she released an album in June called Punisher, uh, which is just more good Phoebe Bridgers songs. So if you have not heard her, you should listen to both of those. And if you've heard Strange in the Alps and you're like, is Punisher good? Yeah, it's it's as good. It's all good. She's would, very good. How would you describe Phoebe Bridgers' musical style? Um, sort of like your it's sort of like you're having a one of those dreams where you get in a fight with somebody that you knew a long time ago, but it's nice. Oh. And then you wake up and you're like, why was I mad? <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, oh, I miss them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what her music feels like. Um, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> And then um, my second uh, recommendation is more of a TV-related one. <gasps> I, I, I love just, TV. I just finished a full rewatch of Community, um, which was which was awesome. And if you have never seen Community, you should see that. But that's not my chatsome. Uh, I've been consuming as much sort of uh, ancillary community material, like interviews, as I possibly can. And there's this one interview that Dan Harmon did with the AV Club at the end of season two, where it's just an extended interview of him talking about every single episode of season two and the context in which each of them were made and the sort of like reasons why the episodes turned out the way they did. Uh, and it's fascinating. And he, he speaks really thoughtfully about television and about, um, his own writing process and about the sort of concessions that he had to make versus what he was hoping for those things, those episodes to be. Um, it, it really is, uh, super interesting so I, I highly recommend finding the av clubs season two like episode by episode interview with dan Harmon. that's um dan Harmon walks us through community second season it's a four-parter uh yep. the interview it looks like it was done by emily vanderwerf mm-hmm. fun stuff uh i would definitely check that out i love i mean like you do av club dan Harmon community interview is the most 2010s phrase of all time <laughs> but yeah. uh you know Despite my problems with Dan Harmon, I still think that would be very cool to watch. Yeah. I would fight him in the arena. Um, and speaking of the arena, I have a chat for y'all as well. What do you got? Uh, I want to close it out by talking about a game that uh, Magellan and I have been playing with our friend James, friend of the podcast, best friend of the podcast, um, called Risk of Rain 2. Um, so for some background back in, I think, 2013 or so, uh, we played this indie 2D side-scrolling rogue light called Risk of Rain which uh, is basically a run, like roguelike means like a run-based game with some RPG elements, some action shooting. And it was pretty straightforward. It was all about collecting items and fighting bosses and beating a run of a game. Um, the unique thing about Risk of Rain is that there's a bunch of different classes all earned through different really and fun and uh, exciting ways. Um, and Risk of Rain 2 basically translates that entire formula into behind-the-back 3D third person. Um with some slight tweaks to make it more engaging, more fun, a lot tighter, and honestly pretty broken in some really exciting ways. Hmm. If you are the type of person that enjoys uh, stat crunching or uh, like developing broken builds in MMOs or in other RPGs, 
I really, really highly recommend Risk of Rain on the PC or the Switch uh, because you can either have like really difficult runs where you're like, this game just seems hard and unfair, or like our friend James did uh, two nights ago, uh, you can just break the game and basically be unkillable, like really easily, like with not a lot of effort, and just be like, "Well, okay, this is bosses are being erased in front of my eyes." So, uh, if that sounds appealing to you, I highly, highly recommend you check out Risk of Rain Two or the first one. They're both good. Um, but yeah, thank you to Six, our Scanline Media cohort, co-host, co-pal, uh, for joining us. Sure. Six, you're, you're my hero. Uh, Magellan, you are the rock to my hard place, and I don't want you to forget that when you sleep in bed at night um, and <laughs> in your waking days as well. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. Let's restart the clock. We did the jokes. We did the news. <laughs> <laughs> episode of studio 60 on the sunset chats you heard all of the usual plugs there at the end of the episode but i want to give you a couple of updates about recent content that you can check out uh, on our patreon so this is currently the month of march and over on the patreon we started the month with the chats nights where we ranked the months Yesterday, we put out a movie commentary of the film RoboCop, which I had never seen before. So, uh, you know, that's sort of our bread and butter on commentary chats, watching 80s movies that I haven't seen, uh, along with our meat and potatoes, which is watching just uh, films that are peak (laughs) aughts aesthetic. And then next week, uh, we're going to be releasing a Chats Nights that's a surprise format. Um... Alan and I did a little game, and it was really fun, so you should check it out. Speaking of games, on Friday we streamed over on Twitch, which we're doing every once in a while, so you should check it out. Uh, In that stream, we played Star Wars Squadrons, and then we spent some time on Duolingo and started to learn Klingon. So, I mean, that was fun. Head on over to twitch.tv slash chatspot to watch the archived uh, video of that stream. And that's what I got, folks. Thank you again so much for listening. Be good to yourselves. Have a wonderful week. And we will see you next week for even more fun with our friends, our, our good TV friends. Let's restart the clock. <laughs>